listening to the Boise Talks podcast, a podcast about faith, life, mission and other stuff with your host, Adam Boyce. Hello people, it's been a minute and a half. Actually, I say that every time I record a podcast and then a year or something goes by and it ends up being 12 months and not a minute. But anyway, here we are, another episode going out. So there's a few people that have been bugging me, actually more than a few people, to get another episode out. And I've said, yeah, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And so here it is. I'm here with my friend, my brother, technically my boss. Um, Jason, would have if I unmuted you. Um, I mean, you're known as many things. A doctor, a vicar, pastor, church planter, father, husband, published author. But if 10-year-old Jason was at the mic right now... What would he introduce himself as and what would he want to be when he was your age? <laughs> ten-year-old Jason. Well, ten-year-old Jason wanted to be a doctor. In fact, the funny thing is, is that my name, Jason, means healer. And unbeknownst to me... <laughs> so you've got those parents that planned from the oh, womb. Oh, they planned from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They always wanted me to be a doctor. My, my father was a, a, a consultant clinical psychologist my mum was a nurse and a teacher so we had the kind medics. Of, yeah, yeah we had yeah, that in the yeah. background healthcare professionals so from as long as I can be remember really I kind of wanted to to be a doctor mm. wanted to be a healer so okay. that's probably what definitely what I would have said age 10. That's a shame so I didn't I didn't get superhero I didn't get road yeah. digger I didn't get there's I no astronauts in there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I should, we should start again <laughs> come up with a different question but no so you but that's good so you knew from a very early age, even as an unbeliever, I'm assuming at 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you wanted to do with your life and what you was born to do. Pretty much. From a 10-year-old perspective. Pretty much. I mean, I was I was into music and um, uh, DJing became a thing that I was enjoying oh. and did lots of, more so in secondary school and into sixth form and that sort of thing. I can, I can see and you so, spinning the decks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. This was old school. This was back in the days when we used vinyl. Yeah, like this, yeah. Uh, you you know, smelt MP3 the, business. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. And lost and yes. scratched. Yeah. All of that. All of that. <laughs> so, yeah, that I guess that was another big love at the time, yeah. When did you give up DJing? Because I actually didn't know that DJ Roach was a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, probably midway through medical school. Okay. So, at the beginning of medical school, I was doing various clubs and stuff but mm-hmm. very quickly it became unmanageable and I wasn't in London yeah, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it kind of laid, laid down my, my headphones then yeah I mean you could have maybe have made a name for yourself at um, DJ Dr Roach at uni <laughs> who knows <laughs> <laughs> so going back to your childhood what, what did it look like where, where are you from what, what, what was yeah. the family life like paint us a bit of a picture of 10 year old Jason's life growing up yeah thank you so I'm one of three younger uh, brother younger sister I was the oldest and oh. um, uh, we grew up in Bromley. Most of my conscious life was in Bromley, a suburb of London. Mm. And um, it was about the age of 12, interestingly, it was the first time when uh, we went to Barbados, which is a country that both my parents are from. So mm. they met here in London. Oh, okay. Um, having come over from Barbados as teenagers uh, to study and work. Separately. And separately and met at a wedding. And, As you uh, do. and uh, the rest is history. They got married. So age 12 was the first time that I actually went to Barbados. And for me, that was a significant time in my life, partly because 
the area where we grew up was quite a white area, actually. I went to school in Grove Park. So oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mallory, not... Mallory, Prime, uh, Mallory Secondary School, or Comprehensive, it was yeah, called. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I grew up in Western Orwood, so it's not about me, this podcast. But just so that <laughs> I, I can relate to what you say, is, it, and I was going to touch on that yeah, later. in your teenage years, but it is a very white area. Not so much now, but back then, I went secondary school, started in 91. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, Stephen Lawrence. Exactly. was murdered down the road it, so we that's the times we were living and going to school and so exactly mm. so we get to teenage years Stephen Lawrence that yeah. was a massive thing for me yeah. but back then age 12 went to Barbados and suddenly hold on the people with brown skin who are uh, lawyers doctors working in the shops doing everything you know which was different from mm. my experience mm. growing up mm. and I, I really valued my parents making that a kind of second home for us as they could they'd save everything they could to, to get us there nice. when they could in the summer and yeah so it still feels like a second home now but what it meant was I kind of grew into my own identity a little mm. bit more mm. and definitely a sense that actually what I see as I open my eyes in London isn't necessarily all there is for someone mm. with brown skin yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and and so what what influence did is there anything that stands out in terms of the influence that going back home to Barbados? Ever, I mean, that's I know some people when I was growing up used to go back to Jamaica regularly, but for it to be a regular thing and and yeah. to know that your parents have scrimped and saved and yeah. worked hard to do it, yeah. What influence did the Barbados life or Bayesian life have on you? The smallie life <laughs> have on yeah. you um, that you brought back? How did it influence grow, Jason growing up? Yeah, I think our family over here in um, London was fairly nuclear. So one thing was that my dad was one of 10 children. Wow. So I had loads of cousins growing up and it was just it was just a different world. Over like, here you had... No, so over in Barbados. Right, okay. So when we went over there, it would be playing out till late with cousins. Mm. And there it was still a sort of stage growing up where you could... Um, play out till after dark and hang out mm. and it'd be completely fine mm, mm. it was also a time where you know if you were messing around on the bus anyone would feel it was completely their right to come over and give you a you give know, you a clip around the ear exactly so so it was just a different kind of way of life um but i i appreciate having extended family mm, mm. I, I i appreciated a different culture of hospitality to mm. the one that you, you sort of often experience here where it's sort of closed door a bit yeah, more. Yeah. Um, you, you were available to your whole family and to the whole neighbourhood and they were available to you. And I guess the other big thing was just blitzing some of the stereotypes that even as someone with brown skin, mm. I had imbibed and were part of me. So what I mean is, um, you know, what is possible for you as a black person? Mm. Um, and without even realising it, you can begin to have glass ceilings going on in your, your mind and heart. Mm. And some of that was just blown away. And that's one of the things I think I'm most grateful for, some of the stereotypes that even as someone with brown skin, mm. you were beginning to, to, to adopt. Yeah. So that went. And a lot of those lot of those glass ceilings actually we put on ourselves. Yeah. Culturally. Yeah. Here in Britain, being black British. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so yeah, those were well. big for me. And so me. your children, sort of fast forwarding 
a few years here briefly. Do you want <laughs> just a few years? Um, just, a, just a few years. Just a careful. few years. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I I started my parent parenthood at seventeen, yeah, so okay. it wouldn't be that many years for me. Yeah. But you started slightly later. Yeah. Didn't you? So, um, your children go back to Barbados. Do they go back every year? No, no? if only Boise. Okay. Well, you're you're a doctor and a reverend. I'm sure you. Can. Well, um, but you're, that means you're busy. I've got um, four children. Uh, so the eldest of fourteen and. 12 and they have been once I think when they were very little when they were toddlers mm. and uh, my 10 year old and 8 year old have never been and we're hoping to go soon one of the things that happened during lockdown is my mum moved back over to Barbados having been here for many years mm. so we're hoping that we might be able to get them to visit her at some point soon so what how comes um your childhood every year mum and dad made and this is me saying you're worse a parent than your parents yeah. but it's interesting that you as you you've just spoken at length of yeah. how much of a difference it made to your life growing up and even now as a as a as a black man at the age you're at I won't disclose it's up to you if you do um, <laughs> um how how comes that you didn't adopt that you one might assume that you'd adopt that straight away for your children it'd be like right we're going to Barbados every year but it's interesting that you didn't do you know brother that's a that's a deep question it's a it's a fair question I think number one um, the landscape has changed. Mm. So when my eldest daughter first went to school, um, she was the only non-Muslim child, I think, in her class, all with brown skin. The, the school that she was at after that, because we moved area, mm. uh, was one where um, it was normal to be not only uh, black, but a lot of kids were mixed race. So we haven't touched on that. My, my wife is white, yeah. I'm black. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a little clue in you saying yeah, mixed yeah, race, yeah, yeah, yeah. even though it might not necessarily have been white. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cuts so, out the bag now. So, um, so actually, I think they're in a. London is a different place from, yeah. you know, growing up in Bromley when it was. So I think this is on that particular thing. It's a different kind of landscape. But two, I just we the money is yeah. just it's just too expensive. So Flights like, were expensive back then, but n- not quite in the same yeah. realm as they are now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, but, that, that, you get away with it then. You yeah, get yeah. Away with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, also, I think the other big difference was that um, I didn't grow up as a Christian. Right. And I think the difference that that makes for me is that as a Christian, I know that uh, all people are made in the image of God, that, that all people are loved by God, no matter what their background or uh, ethnicity might be. Mm. And that if we... Or trusting in Jesus, we're all God's children, mm. and that means that no matter what anyone else might say or think about me, I can hold my head high and say, "The highest power that there is in the universe loves me and cares mm. for me." Mm. And um, so, God's yeah. made us all unique individuals, beautifully handcrafted us all together, knitted us in our mother's womb. But there's a blanket identity as Christians. That's a wonderful way of putting it. Exactly, and mm. so that means that. Uh, that that's something I didn't quite have embedded in me as a as a child, which mm. which meant that there was a sort of sense of self confidence and identity that comes with that. And I tried yeah. we tried to instill that into our children mm. from an early mm. age. So I guess the security and, and and everything that I guess you needed growing up in White Bromley, let's say, for yeah. one of a phrase, and you got this blackness from Barbados to be really um, yeah. silly about it, it almost, but. Your children growing up in modern London yeah. didn't need that. 
and also you've grown them up by the sounds of it with this secure identity in Christ, whether they've adopted that personally themselves or not. Yeah. That's the image in what you've brought and that's the method in what you've brought them up. Exactly so. Um, so yeah, yeah, even yeah. even that, but even before you look at the money and all the other dynamics, yeah. the, the times were different. And, I think yeah. that's right. I think no, that's right. brilliant. Exactly. So going back to your teenage years and we touched on Stephen Lawrence and you growing up in inverted commas White Bromley, how old was you when... <laughs> that's an awful characterisation because there was plenty of black people in my school. Um, and you're black and grew up in Bromley, so that proves it wasn't white Bromley. Yeah, that's right. But um, how old was you when Stephen Lawrence yeah, was murdered? I think I was 15. But um, I, I, what I remember is that my... We weren't friends with the family, but my mum knew... Um, uh, Stephen's mum and so like when we were when we were shopping in Lewisham they give each other the nod sort of As thing they kind of yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, kind of yeah. knew each other at that level yeah and so it was definitely something that was that was in the conscience uh, at the time and yeah I do remember sort of thinking and being nervous about just getting buses mm. and you know be, being out at night all around the time that, that stuff was was kicking off and for me as soon as I basically could drive and so this a little bit later so we could drive and was going out and about with friends that was a time when for me being stopped by the police became a pretty regular right. um uh, occurrence mm. and so there was always Stephen Lawrence was in always in the background what's mm. going to happen now mm. sort of thing mm. so it was it was significant in thinking um we will be treated differently mm. and experiencing that with the police stops and searches which were common then mm. uh, just and not very pleasant back then as well from yeah. my experience of them yeah it could some be. of and them so so it just meant that there was a kind of fear mm. that that went around just just being a teenager mm. in at that time and Sadiq Khan has spoken recently about his experience as a as a brown skinned guy yeah, yeah, yeah. growing up back in round about the same time yeah. you was and he touched on that as well and and, yeah. and and him living almost in fear of the police because of his brown skin Look, I, when it comes, and I, I think is I've got lots of friends who are police now, mm. but it, it is still true for me today to say when I see a police person, I think fear, not Your safety. Your default is exactly that's yeah. my default, yeah. and you know that's a, a scary thing. But that, mm. that's what my my experience has sort of left me with in a way. Mm. So I'm constantly fighting that that yeah. sort of feeling. Yeah, 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 mm. and and having to think to yourself, this police officer, as much as I fear him because of his uniform and what he represents. The guy behind the uniform probably is a decent exactly. ish guy, yeah. yeah, and probably isn't gonna harm me, yeah, probably. Um, but you, your default is still, and even when I was driving into work today, um, there was a van and it sort of cut me up because I was driving too slow in a 20 miles an hour zone and he wanted to drive faster. And I sort of gave a look like, Why did you do that? and they yeah. sort of looked at me. And I thought, Oh no, I shouldn't have looked at them like that because they might pull me over and um, I've got nothing to hide. I'm insured, I'm you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm allowed yeah. to, but still. Yeah. There was that, oh, I shouldn't have looked at them like that, even though I had every right to because this big van had just cut me up yeah. so that he could drive faster in the 20 zone, ironically. Um, but yeah, it, it's just ingrained yeah. in us yeah. growing up in that environment. I think that's right. And it was just down the road. I mean, you have to understand this isn't just something that was happening kind yeah. of, um, you know, in some other part of the mm. country. Or this even north to south London. No, this, you was, was, this was round the corner. Yeah. Basically. It was Mottingham, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this was round the corner. Yeah. Because I remember, as I said, I went. Um, secondary school in Grove Park to Grove Park to Mottingham yeah, is, it's nothing. is nothing it's nothing um, what was your experience prior to Stephen Lawrence being a teenager a black teenager in a predominant I'll be polite about it now in a predominantly white area 
with National Front, which at the time were very visible still and very, they were in the schools. You know, I, I know some boys that were sort of skinheads in my secondary school. Not many of them, yeah. but they were, and they made their presence known. Yeah. Did, what did you experience in terms of racism yeah. growing up? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I want to be honest. I, I don't think I've experienced anything like the worst of racism in mm. that time that some people have. Mm. Um, I think most of my experience was just the, the low-level um, curiosity or foolishness of people mm. just sort of not quite knowing... Um, how to handle the fact that there were people with brown skin around. So yeah. lots of jokes mm. um, where, where uh, at that time there were things like Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman jokes, but there would be similar sorts of jokes where there'd be a black person yeah. in it. And people would just sort of tell them to you, just say, oh, you know, um, uh, no, this isn't really about you, Jason, but <laughs> here's the mm. joke sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, there'd yeah. be that kind of stuff going on. Mm. Um, but, but I don't think I experienced the worst of it. I think the most that I experienced that has stuck with me in terms of racism was mainly police wow. stops and searches. That's the thing that sticks with me mm. growing up. And so you've, you've come through teenagers, you've gone through secondary school, and you're the eldest of three siblings. Did your sibling pursue the same path as you? No, no, no. So my brother is an artist, so he um, went to a Royal College of Art and is now, yeah, doing a art. successful art. He does mm. his art. He's also a musician, so when he's not when he's not doing art sort of stuff he's um he's he's writing composing and traveling um wow. performing okay. doing music he he's um a sort of electronica sort of so i mean it's completely opposite to the sort of music that i listen to um that might have been deliberate dj dj yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he got put off yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. by your great uh, dj school and my uh youngest um sibling sarah she's a um uh, she's a headmistress she's a t uh, headmistress of a school um mm. in langley park oh okay great. yeah oh. so you're the only doctor i'm the only doctor yeah so what was so what was um your life like in terms of going through in your a level stage i've, I've read your book swipe up it's a great <laughs> book this is a plug um anybody um is a Christian in particular because it is geared towards people on a yeah. faith journey. But yeah. actually, plug your book. It was a great book. Um, oh, bless you. I mean, Swipe Up was really written because I thought that there was a lot of talk about sexuality and um, relationships uh, by Christians that was mainly, mainly felt like it was saying, stop it. Mm. Um, and I think whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, your perception of what Christianity has to say about sex and relationship is stop it. Mm. Um, and, and for Christians, sometimes there can be a sense of feeling my, my body and heart seem to be saying yes to what God seems to be consistently saying no to. Mm. And actually what I wanted to great, I've got a great quote from the book actually, oh. where you said, no, cause this, you, you, you've got some bars in this book, Rav. Uh, you, as a sense of feeling frustrated with myself for feeling drawn to disobey God yeah. because of it, uh, your, your, your sinful yeah, side yeah. to you, but at the same time feeling frustrated with God for saying no to what felt so natural and so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That and that was a wow stuff. for me. It was like, yeah, I, that's, that's us. That's human nature. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it seemed to me that actually there wasn't, much stuff out there that was kind of addressing that gap of okay that there's uh, some stuff we need to know in terms of christian ethics and mm. morality 
but why? Mm. And that was a big question for me, uh, becoming a, a, a Christian. Like, why though? Particularly when it feels like there's this tension between how I'm feeling and what God's saying. Mm. And actually what that opened up was a space for me to kind of explore and discover that actually sex and relationships fits into a much bigger story of who God is and what mm. his intentions are for the whole world. Mm. And and really just to pick one thing is just to say that actually, um, like the phrase I like to use is sex points us to the stars. That the point is, is that uh, the desires that we feel, that we feel are wired into us, are meant to point us to something much deeper, much greater than is fulfilled right now um, through um, sexual intercourse. It's meant to point us to the love and the desire that the living Lord of the whole universe has for each and every one of us. Wow. And when we grasp that, we grasp something of the wonder of what God is trying to do in the world. He is calling out to us and saying, you're mine, I love you, mm. and I have something far better for you that mm. I want you to enjoy for the rest of forever. And mm. the whole book is kind of unpacking. It does, that yeah, yeah. That was, that was a great summary of the book, and and you you really do drop a bar that I'm not going to drop, because I want people to, if you haven't read the book, <laughs> go and read the book. Because um, even as a, as a 40, I think I was 40 when I read it, because yeah. I read it around October, and we were supposed to do this podcast, that's when I started reading it, and I, and I finished it, because again, it's a very short yeah, read, which is good, not. very short, easy read, I listened to it actually, so I, I, that's how I read, so I had it on my, my audio um, book app, um, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a great book, and it, and, it, and even as a, as a grown man with, with the yeah. children, it a lot of it made me stop and think, oh, it wasn't just me, or, yeah. oh, yeah, that is right, and oh, I've never looked at the big story of the Bible in the context of, I love, anyway, I'm not going to spoil it for people, but going back to your your A-level times and transitioning, because there's this, just this journey that you've been on, that you write about, that and a lot of the journey's wrapped up in, in sex and relationships, and we'll keep it as high level as you want, but um, <laughs> you, you did speak about your journey going through A-levels and into uni, and then the few relationships that you you spoke about in the book, like the the tall, beautiful brown um, lady when you was in yeah. your A level, who chose to do a job that I'm not going to speak about. Get the book, um, <laughs> and your heart got broken, and yeah. you carried on. But there's something else that happened when you was that age, and, and I think you was in uni, and yeah. you spoke about it one day at work. That was a turning point for you in your life. Yeah, you you mean when my when my friend died? Yeah, you mean? Yeah. yeah, that was a, a massive thing. Um, so I've been at uni a few months and um, a friend of mine had um, volunteered to take some project work, which we'd forgotten to take um, back to a GP surgery. We were, we were, I was in London Bridge. I was studying at Guy's Hospital at the time. And um, see yeah, yeah, just around <laughs> the corner. And so he had volunteered to cycle on behalf of all of us back to Clapham. And on the way back to London Bridge, the handlebars on his um bike loosened and he lost control and was hit by a lorry and killed and you can imagine this was a tragic thing for the whole medical school and um, we were all rocked by it we went up to the funeral up in Bristol and I'll never forget speaking to his father at that funeral um, it was so packed I was in the overflow I wasn't even in the main Place. I was wow. watching on a TV screen and so many people there but mm. I said to his father afterwards thank you uh, I said sorry for your loss mm. and I remember him saying with tears running down his face thank you for saying that but I want you to know I'm going to see my son again and I remember that point 
just realizing I know nothing of what this man is talking about. Now, I'd gone to a Catholic school, so I knew something about you'd heard about God before, God, yeah. you know. Um, but I realized I knew nothing about what this man was talking about, and it was the start of a journey for me. So that that sentence, yeah, said to you by a grieving father, tears streaming down his face, and you were just about twenty, yeah, something, pr- yeah, something like that, nineteen, yeah. nineteen, nineteen, twenty, yeah. yeah. It must have baffled you. Yeah, it did absolutely. I, I realized, you know, life after death. This is a real thing mm. that that actually means that you have some sense that you are physically going to recognize other people mm. and be able to have some kind of relationship with them beyond this life. Mm. And uh, that how did you away. get to that though? Because I'm sure you didn't get that all from that sentence in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, you're good, yeah. <laughs> and that's why you're reverend. Um, how did you get to that point? What was what was your sort of faith to that? What happened in that moment? It sparked a curiosity. Yeah. Um, you went away from the funeral. You continued your grieving process, continued your study process. Yeah. When did you think, oh, I believe in God? Because you've grown up not believing in God by the sounds of it. Yeah, I think I probably would have said that there was some sort of higher power, some some kind of being, but exactly what that meant, mm. um, I wasn't sure. And I think it was... Um, people who were in my year at uni who'd been praying for me and gently trying to talk to me about Christian things who really helped. And what was what I remember looking back, I don't remember any deeper meaningfuls with them. I just remember being asked lots of questions and thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's made me think a little bit. Um, and uh, one of the one of those occasions, one of them asked me along to a an event where there was going to be a talk about the evidence for the resurrection. Mm. And... Um, I remember going along mainly because they'd said there's going to be 98% free chocolate fudge cake. And Come they're, on. They're exactly. Who exactly. doesn't love it? Well, some people I mean, don't. Silly I mean, people. But it's yeah. hard to say no to that. So mm. um, I went along, had my fudge cake, heard this talk. Don't remember much about the talk mm. again, but afterwards the guy who gave the talk said, I'm not sure how he got there, but said, would you like to read the Bible with me? And I said, yes. And over a period of time we read some of John's gospel. And that was really the thing. Really threw you in at the deep end there, didn't it? Didn't start with Mark, something easy. Exactly. And I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, for for Christians listening, I think it's worth just thinking. Sometimes it's worth just asking. Don't feel afraid to just ask that question, you know. Would you like to read the Bible with me? It Mm. might might sound strange. We could just read it for 10 minutes, have a think together about what it means, Mm. and then go our separate ways. And and I did that. And uh, actually, I found that God had prepared my heart to to understand and receive what he was saying to me. And I realized that Jesus really is who he says he is. And I need mm-hmm. to listen to what he says. And for me, that was that was it. That was a significant thing. And I came to see that Jesus, he, when he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father, to God, except through me. Mm-hmm. I had to believe that. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that as I then was invited to go along to a local church and heard people speaking about God's truths from the Bible, that it made sense in a deep way mm. uh, to the point that I was saying to my mates, why on earth are you um, briefing the pastor on my life? They, Of course they hadn't, but the things that were being said were so relevant and so pertinent to my situation that um, I thought it must be. Yeah, you fact. feel like when the, when the yeah. pastor's preaching, you're, you're the only one in the room. You're like, the only one in the room. How dare my friends tell him that? How did he know that? that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But actually, actually, it's just testament to the fact that 
God's word is relevant mm, mm. Uh, to today, 21st century life in London or wherever else it might be. Mm. And I really felt that and mm. saw that God's word was the answer that I'd been looking for. Mm. Jesus was the answer I'd been looking for. And where was you in life particularly? Was, had you finished uni or was you still at uni? When I was that, still at uni then. At so uni. I was three years in. I was at uni for a long time. Um, Doctors <laughs> never stop studying, do they? Yeah. But yeah, I was about halfway. I've been there for about three years when that happened. So that's that makes a point that that was a long journey. Mm. So 19, that was my first year, first yeah. term of You've first year. lost your friend. Yeah. Interacted with his father at the yeah, funeral. Exactly. Three years later, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've been on this journey exactly. um, of discovery, really, by exactly. the sounds of it. Exactly, exactly. And in between that time, friends talking to me, uh, me beginning to ask questions of them and that sort of thing. And then finally having this time mm. where I was reading the Bible with uh, mm. like one guy in particular. Amen. Yeah. So when did... The way I describe it for myself, especially when we're at sort of our link-ups or camps um, with young people, um, we describe our journeys of faith as um, a turning point and a tipping point. Yeah. So it sounds so to put it in your context, your turning point was when you was reading John's Gospel by the sounds of it. Yeah. And that that was your turning. That's your turning point. You turn towards God. I believe in God now. Yeah, absolutely. Where did the tipping point come? Where you thought, okay, I need to be serious about this. I, I need to. There's more to it than just believing in God and going to church. Yeah. Do you, do you see my silly analogy where it... Yeah, I think so. I think, when did I have to begin to sort of count the cost of being a Christian? Really? Yeah, so, to hold on, I'm going to have yeah. to... I have to listen... I'm going to have to make some changes to my life. Mm. There's, there's going to be a tipping point here. And your book, again, there was a great example you gave in the book. And there, actually, actually, I know the answer to this, I think. You was in a relationship with somebody in the office. And I can't remember exactly what... Um, your wife knows about this relationship. She does. She does. Yeah, Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no disclosure. Um, no, you was in a relationship and you ended that relationship because it sounded like God confronted you yeah. with this crossroads of are you going to continue pursuing this way of life that feels good, etc. but you know isn't right. Yeah, it, I think that was exactly it, Poise. I think that was a real tipping point for I me. I really know you don't. Up, wow, and it was I'm scary. Wow. Up until that point, you know, Life was carrying on. Okay, I now needed to go to church and oh, I came to a Bible study and learned some, some stuff about Jesus. But things in many ways were, were quite similar. And that was a point at which um, I, I suddenly realized there was going to be a cost to this. And I remember because I, I came along to church, I came along to a Bible study mm-hmm. and I was, I was waxing lyrical about, about this, this girlfriend. <laughs> and the Bible study leader like, took me aside and was like, so, you know, who, who is this person? Mm-hmm. You know, is she a believer? And I was sort of, uh, that wasn't the case. And suddenly, you know, I was confronted with, hold on, there's some things that Jesus, sometimes when Jesus says no, mm-hmm. and of course he, Jesus only ever says no because he's saying um, he wants to say yes to something much better. Yeah. You know, and so... Um, I remember going home that night and just weeping and not weeping out of remorse but weeping because of a a recognition that I wasn't following Jesus' way and Mm. I wanted to be a Jesus way sort of person Mm. it was a hard it was a hard wrestle but yeah that was a point at which that Mm. relationship had to come to an end Mm. so yeah that was a real tipping point in Mm. the language that you used Mm. there Mm. Um, but as I say the no was to a much bigger yes Mm. and Mm. um in it over time didn't feel like that at the time <laughs> it is a journey it's definitely a journey because yeah. even in that tipping point it wasn't suddenly oh I'm, I'm alive no, for Jesus not at all you're still on that journey yeah um, and I'm sure in your marriage there's challenges um, yeah uh, and yeah. so talking about marriage Mrs Roach when did she come on the scene 
Yeah, well, funny enough, we we met at church. We did meet at church. She and turned up. Yeah, she met at church. She, she turned up at church at some point. I was a uh, I was working as a doctor, I think, when she uh, turned up, and um, uh, that was. What does Mrs. Roach do? Well, she she has her hands full um, looking after our four children. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, she also works as a women's worker for our church. Okay. Uh, so she's sort of part-time mm. doing that and doing a whole number sort of things. Pastoral stuff. We've, we've pastoral stuff, outreach with, um, uh, you know, sort of mercy ministries, sort of helping people mm. with practical ways, with food and, uh, you know, all kinds of practical support as well. But, you know, trying mm. to read the Bible with people, yeah. all that stuff. And so you're a member of your church. Mrs. Roach has turned up. She has. Walked not, in the not door. Not Mrs. Roach right now. Not Mrs. Roach yeah. at the time. No, that would have been weird because it's a yeah. pretty unique surname. Um, so <laughs> Mrs. Roach-to-be has turned up. Yeah. Um, how did you get to know each other? And Yeah, I mean, um, it was a great vibe at that church. You know, people used to hang out and go mm. out um, after church. It was an evening service. We, we would often go out and hang out afterwards As you do. for a little bit, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah, so yeah, it, was yeah. a, it was a really cool vibe anyway. Mm. And, um, and so there, we, there was the space for there was a space for people just to get to, to relate know each other. To, yeah, there was yeah. a morning service. You're going off for your Sunday dinner. Or, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Older boring people at morning services. <laughs> Back <And> us. <laughs> and so um, there was a bit of that, but I think the, the key was that um, at some point we got thrown together into a Bible study group. So some Christians get together in midweek and study the Bible together for an mm. hour, food before, that sort of thing. Mm. And we were in this group and um, the leader of the group um, uh, got called away on business to Hong Kong after week one. And do. so suddenly they were like, well, who's going to lead this group? Mm. And uh, I got I got pushed and volu- volunteered into doing this. And the good thing about that was there, were, there was a kind of thing whereby the leaders of Bible studies group didn't fraternise with people in, in the group. So. Even though you ended up... Okay, we'll get on to that in a minute. So, <laughs> yeah. But what it meant was this was a space where I was kind of facilitating this group yep. and, and uh, relationship wasn't really on the agenda. So we mm. had the space just to get to know each other socially mm. and in the context of we're getting to know Jesus and getting to know each other as well. And that was fantastic. So we had a whole year, an mm. academic year, of kind of getting to know each other. Mm. At the end of the year, um, she um, she used to be a ball girl at Wimbledon for many years. So she loved Wimbledon. And she'd sent uh, an email to the whole group saying, uh, does anyone want to go to Wimbledon? And um, I was the only one who replied. And so <laughs> It was all deliberate. We, she told everybody I, offline, well, don't I, reply. I know, it was a funny thing. Anyway, we, we didn't end up going to Wimbledon. Oh, but okay. we, did, we did end up going for coffee. And right. that was the start of... Uh, of uh, Mrs. Roach of, of Mrs. becoming Roach, Mrs. Roach. Becoming yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Roach, yeah, absolutely. Ah. So you were still studying at the time? Was that your... No, so I was uh, a house officer. I was working as a doctor okay. then. Um, in our, Yeah, working as a doctor then. And so, then I began to work for the church for a little while. Yeah. yeah. So at what age did you actually become a doctor and you wasn't training anymore? You was a doctor. Work as a doctor. Yeah. What age did you say? Yeah. Um, well, it was 2000 and... Two, I think. So You're a now long, tell us a your long age. time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, well, my son's eighteen. He was born in two thousand three, so that was nineteen years ago. I think twenty four. Twenty four. Twenty four. Yeah. Okay. So you're not that much older than me. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got your age now. Twenty four plus nineteen people. Um, <laughs> and so, how long was you a doctor for? Yeah, not long. If I mean, I worked as a doctor, um, as a junior doctor in hospitals in a number of different specialities. But then, uh, I, I. I what happened first was I worked as a doctor for about a year and a half and then I decided I wanted to spend some more time getting to know about the Bible and so on because I was having lots of opportunities to speak to people about Jesus. And so that meant 
taking some time out either to do some study or kind of be a lay assistant or to be a kind of intern at my local church. So that was pretty soon after I'd qualified as a doctor. Uh, so I did that for a bit and then actually I went back to doing some medical stuff after I'd done a couple of years of that and um, uh, worked for uh, a magazine called the British Medical Journal. Mm. So that was medicine but in a different kind of guise mm. and I did that for a little mm. while. Yeah. So you were a doctor but never really a doctor as in you didn't spend 10 years no. saving lives no, 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 and then no. you thought, oh, the Lord's calling me to ministry. So no. I would have loved to it wasn't intentional it wasn't intentional that way the 10 year old Jason probably didn't think I'm going to spend a year as a doctor I'm going to put the stethoscope yeah. on for a year and then I'm going to go off to Bible yeah Bible it wasn't intended that way at all and funny enough I, I mean I think the main reason that I didn't do more medicine was because I had applied for a rotation which meant that I wouldn't have to move because basically things with Rachel were still developing I thought mm. I, I don't want to have to leave um, this church or this area and um, I didn't get shortlisted for that rotation so I thought well I've got to do something else now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's all, it's all Rachel's fault <laughs> how did mum and dad react to you yeah. um, that's a great question because I think for my dad growing up education had been a massive thing well for mm. both my parents education mm. was massive they'd been really keen to ensure that education I guess was one way that you could kind of break through the, some of the barriers that yeah. there were at that mm. time if you had nothing else you, you, yeah, you're smart you, yeah. exactly exactly so that was that was something they were really keen on and I think the key from which I hadn't expected for my dad was that I'd finished and mm. I qualified mm. so when it finally came to the time to tell him and say look dad I want to leave medicine and I want to go and read the bible a bit yeah, more. yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was really matter of fact about it he says look you've qualified you can always go back to mm. it you've got mm. my blessing and it was I hadn't expected that but he actually accepted it uh, really well I guess if he was halfway through med school yeah, yeah it, exactly. it would have been a, a, d a deeper voice exactly with dad I think it yeah yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was grateful for that. Mm. So how your journey into, into ministry, into becoming a, a, yeah. a, a priest in the Church of England, um, how did that begin? What was it like for you? I'm going to give you about 20 questions here to answer, but I know yeah. you're good at remembering questions. So how did that begin? Because you said you wanted to spend some more time initially yeah. exploring the Bible more and learning it, I guess studying it rather than reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then at some point you, you, you went, yeah. Start to discern, do what, what what is called a discernment process in the Church of England, where you're going to seriously think about becoming a priest. This is this is um, it's, it's rare to speak to somebody who understands these categories. I'm a, I'm a recovering <laughs> Anglican, and there's I know many um, good Anglican um, sort of vicars, um, yeah. and a lot of them tried to get me to. Uh, to, to put a collar on, yeah. Um, and there's one in particular in, in um, Dagenham, every time I see her. So, boy, see, come on, what's what, what's happening to you in the collar? I'm like, yeah, 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 we'll talk, we'll talk. Yeah, okay. But, um, yeah, what, what, how did that journey start? And and as a as a black man, yeah, how did that journey feel? Yeah, thank you. You know, I was really blessed because when I was at um, the church that first encouraged me, a guy called Richard Cokin, who... Um, He's still a good friend now. Um, Great guy. He encouraged me. Um, I think I went to him to ask his advice. So I'm thinking about doing some study. He said, you should come and be a, a, an intern at our, our church. And an intern was a way of both doing some study, but getting some practical experience. Yeah. Putting Dipping it your practice. toe in the... the exactly. The, yeah. And that probably was the best decision, actually, rather than just sort of going and sort of being in a lecture room or whatever. Mm. Mm. And I loved it. Um, and I, I was sort of seeing straight away that actually this was a way of um, 
something that I wanted to spend more time doing. And it became quite a, a clear decision for me that um, there were lots of people who were uh, doctors and there were far fewer people who were pastors. Mm. And the need, um, when you look at eternal things, was much more for pastors, mm. people who preach the gospel. Mm. And I remember... Um, going to a carol service in central London, there were about 2,000 people there. And um, the carol service was one where the speaker was really eloquent. He spoke incredibly well, but made no mention of the fact that there was a judgment to come and that there was a way to be rescued from that judgment. And he had 2,000 people in front of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I left that service and I thought to myself, you know what, I, I don't think I'm... I'm John Stott, who happens to be a really good sort of preacher at the time, but I think I can I can present a basic. I can tell people I could have that mentioned Jesus, the word cross. yeah, <laughs> exactly that Jesus died on the cross, yeah. to save us. And I thought oh, the real Christmas. This is why we sing the carols. Yeah, there's a moment in the carol yeah. service where you can really, yeah, yeah, either hit it or miss it. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that was a key moment where I thought, mm. hold on, um, I, 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 I really can do want better to do than this. That. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And probably not in, knowing you as I do, most of it wouldn't have been, oh, I I'm, I can do better than no, that. No, it really wasn't. No, it was, he should have done better than that. The 2,000 people, he had a moment to... Yeah. Yeah. And I used to cry. I'd find myself at the back of church just weeping. The, the pastor would be preaching. I'd just be crying. I think people need to hear this. Yeah, people need to hear these truths. Mm. You know, this is incredible stuff. Mm. And I just was just compelled, really, to mm. want to spend more time yeah. telling people. I actually had lots of opportunities to do that at work. I loved mm. I loved to, to, talking to people in the line of work. And, mm. and to be field. honest, yeah, I think I love the way you put it there, Boise, in the battlefield, because mm. that is the front line. Yeah. And I think sometimes... Well, and for you, it's literally in medicine, in, in a hospital. Yeah. And I think sometimes people can think that the front line is kind of being a pastor. Or, no, no, no. The, the front line is um, most of the people listening to this maybe who aren't in Christian ministry in mm. a kind of formal paid yeah. way yeah. but actually spend their life um, interacting with people who don't know Jesus yeah. and that's the front line mm. and um, yeah I just initially wanted to be equipped for that but mm. uh, along that journey working for that church Richard was a wonderful encourager but also persuader mm. and uh, <laughs> just got me thinking about the possibility of um, taking things further mm, mm. and I, I wrestled with that for a long time particularly because I wasn't sure that being in the Church of England which was the route that he was particularly encouraging me to go in was something mm. that I wanted to do so mm. it took me a long time that's why I ended up going back into the workplace so I wasn't convinced so how long to you was intern for a year yeah, two years two years you was intern yeah, yeah. went back into the workplace a little yeah. bit um, I'm trying to fast forward a little bit now yeah, yeah. and so how how long did it take for you to decide? Yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down that 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 very long, um, sometimes painful route. Yeah, um, in the Church of England to become a, a vicar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How, well, no, I started the process while I was um, at the church, um, but that process ended up being quite a long process. It, it yeah. took three years, mm. and so yeah, I was back in the workplace. So it wasn't all that long. Went mm. back into the workplace for a year, eighteen months, and then. I'd found my way through that process mm. now on the other side. As a yeah. as 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 a black man from Bromley, yeah. how did you find that process? Um Yeah, I think I found it I, I think it's interesting being um a black man who also happens to be a reformed evangelical 
What does that mean for those that don't know? Yeah, I think it just meant that I was someone who um, uh, believed that the Bible was the word of God and we should use that to inform our life and and doctrine practice. Mm. Um, And I think um, within the Church of England, which is a broad um, church where people have all kinds of different approaches and views on Christian things and on the Bible in particular, Mm. that sometimes people who use that label evangelical which basically just means the bible is um is it is it yeah Yeah, that's where we find out about salvation and life Mm. and godliness um can be viewed with suspicion yeah and so actually the thing that was felt like the biggest roadblock was less actually my my ethnicity and more the particular part of the church they happened to be from so it seemed like there were extra checks that needed to be made mm. just to make sure that I was going to be okay mm. <laughs> so are you saying that if you wasn't an evangelical um to to use use the word yeah your path you would have had less checks I to think make? so yeah I think Interesting. I, I think that's exactly right in in my case I'm not saying that's always no, the case it's, we're going by your experience um, your, your lived experience yeah, going yeah, through yeah, the process yeah and, you're, and, and what I'm hearing from you is is that actually it was less of a barrier being a black man, um, but more of a barrier, your theological sort of position and the, the, the kind of believer you was. I think so. And I was really grateful that at my church, um, uh, the colour of my skin just wasn't a barrier. It mm. was more we're, we're seeing that this guy may have gifts. We're discerning that and we want to we want to release him mm. into that. Mm. And even within the church, I remember the then Bishop of London being so encouraging even getting me into his office and saying like how can we encourage more people of color um to you know this is richard great guy yeah he he was he was just all over it just mm. like what what can we do mm. give me your ideas and it's point is at that time i had no i had no clue mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but he wanted to know yeah so i feel like i was really affirmed mm. which is i've now discovered is quite an unusual experience that like can be an unusual experience mm. but i i felt really affirmed and encouraged and do you think I'm, I'm i'm throwing this out there that maybe because you was a qualified doctor that might have made you be you was listened to a bit more or gave you a bit more of a voice or it made any difference yeah i know you 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 you've done your homework i think there's some <laughs> I, I mean I, but i know people are, are black men and women yeah. who have gone through the process who didn't have an audience with the uh, bishop of london you know, to to encourage them, to hear from them, to listen to them, and that's no reflection on Richard. I've, yeah. I've met him a few times; he's a great guy. Yeah. But I, you know, they didn't have that 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 audience and that influence. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if if he was um, Jason, a black guy who grew up in Bromley, um, who who went through the the discernment process and became a vicar, if your experience might have been different. If he wasn't the Reverend Doctor yeah. and and just the, you know wanting to become a Reverend. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic question. I think uh, this is two things. I guess one is that with regards to any ways in which we feel and experience disadvantage, it can be a bit of a postcode lottery. It doesn't have to be racism, it can be anything. It could be you're from home and you speak like that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It can be a bit of a postcode lottery. So I want to just put that on the table. And I I had in many ways a good experience, which I recognise others don't share. But Mm. I think you are right that one of the things historically about the Church of England is it's quite a... Um, a middle class church mm. upper yeah. middle class mm. um, denomination mm. Um, which prizes academia yeah. and you're right me being a doctor and qualified probably did make a difference mm. and meant that that, that maybe meant that I had a, a respect that other people maybe didn't mm. get or didn't mm. have the privilege of, of receiving mm. 
So yeah, I think yeah. you may well be right that 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 meant that in some ways um, I had more to use a, a social capital than than, mm. than other people did, and somehow that meant that that um, some of the barriers were sort of yeah. knocked away. I think that's right. Mm. We've really picked a day to do this. Uh, I know, this I building. know. To work frontline services, they are all, <laughs> they are all over it to today. Hope you're not about to storm the building. <laughs> uh, probably because of the, the schools team that was here earlier. They've yeah, heard the schools exactly. team in the building. Oh dear. So how how did you end up in the after you've uh, qualified? I know it's not that, but to, to yeah. use an easy word, you qualified. You're now a vicar. Where, where was you? Like, where was your first church? What was your experience? Yeah. What, how did you navigate being a new new vicar? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So I was fortunate in that um, in London, most of the people who um, go through the process can't be placed in London because there isn't every every area only has a certain number of places yeah. they can um, afford to, to place people. But mm. the church that had sent me did have the money to place me back with them. <laughs> and so I ended up coming full circle and going back um, to the place where I'd started. Mm. And what church is that if you don't mind? There's a church called Christ Church Mayfair. Okay, yeah, I know. So I was a kind of curate there. And while I was there, um, we, we'd, we'd, while I was at college, um, we'd begun to plant more churches. So Christ Church Mayfair is part of a church planting uh, network, churches who try and start new churches in areas where there isn't a church. And, um, and what that meant was that uh, that was sort of part of our DNA to sort of think about where, where might we be involved in Where can we get helping? out there instead yeah. of being in here? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Where can we get out to where maybe there isn't a church and be involved in trying to start another mm. church and help people to hear about Jesus and serve them and their mm. needs. Mm. And um, uh, we'd been involved while I was training in uh, such a, a church initiative uh, on an estate called the World's End Estate mm. with a guy called Andy Mason. And we absolutely loved it. We Mm. partly loved it because we found that on estates, there's a real sense of community, Mm. which you didn't always get Mm. in London or in big network churches where people are from traveling from quite a long way to get there. So there's a real sense of community being there for a time. And we thought, hey, this is something that we could do. Never quite knew when that would be. But while we were um, doing that initial placement, if you Mm. like, um, uh, Richard um, uh, had... Been having conversations with London City Mission. Mm. The, the then CEO was a guy called John Nichols, and mm. it turned out that um, there was a centre in Battersea uh, where there'd been lots of great work going for many, many years. And they were thinking, well, could we link this up with a church? Because people were becoming Christians or being interested in knowing more about Jesus, mm. Mm. Uh, but there wasn't a church nearby that, that those missionaries felt confident that people would be welcomed in mm. and would be loved and sat with for long mm. enough that they mm. could hear if they wanted to receive mm. the message of Jesus. And so um, I, I was sort of roped in to sort of consider doing that. Yeah. And how long did you spend there then? Um, at Christchurch Mayfair? At Battersea. At Battersea. So I was there for 12 years. Wow. And I'm still there. Still there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, that, so is that still church for Yeah, you? that's still our church. So we're still Brilliant. there, which is fantastic. So how did... So I handed over the reins back in yeah. September last year. How did that feel? Yeah, you know what? It was a real blessing because mm. the guy who I handed over to had been the associate minister there for some years. Mm. The congregation knew him and loved him, and so it, it wasn't was, somebody coming in. From it wasn't the cold. someone coming in from the cold. So it felt like a real family moment where mm. um, we were handing over to someone else in the family. But also, um, it's been great for me because I think 
one of the issues in church leadership can be where um, one your identity becomes bound up with being the leader of this thing yeah and actually so for me to not be the leader and just I'm a Christian I'm a brother mm. who loves Jesus and is trying to walk with him just for the like most part that's necessary that part of your identity yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a negative thing. Yeah. Although it can be weighty. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's right. And it can be too much so that actually you stop sort of thinking of yourself as a as a fellow sinner saved by grace who yeah. loves Jesus. That's where mm. I'm getting at. Mm. And um, and actually, yeah, so that's been wonderful. Just And it's been wonderful that the church has been flourishing. So even though... <laughs> Despite Jason so not it, being Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I'm getting at, Boise. It's a sort of pride thing. Yeah. There's a danger for pride. Mm. This is all about me. And the reason it's flourishing is because of me. And it's been wonderful just to see uh, what was always the case, mm. that, that God is the one who's causing the flourishing. Yeah. And you can copy um, and paste that to any walk of life and any job exactly, we do. Exactly, that isn't unique. Whether it's a doctor, it's in a supermarket, whether it's in the local council, social worker, whatever. Yeah. If you make your role about all about you, it can... Exactly, yeah. exactly. And Tom's doing a fantastic job. He's the associate's taking over now. Yeah. So what are, you, what are you doing now? So now I work for London City Mission with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the director of ministries. Uh, which basically means that I help to uh, lead a team of missionaries who are based all over London, who are seeking to work with local churches to uh, reach the one in three people in London who are least likely to hear about Jesus. Mm. Uh, So one in three people probably don't have a Christian friend, and a lot Mm. of the ways that we try and reach people are uh, through friendship, sort of evangelism, just getting to know people and sharing Christ with our friends. Um, but there are lots of people who, who don't have Christian friends mm. and um, and you guys are ninjas at trying to get alongside <laughs> uh, people who, who maybe don't have a Christian friend and try mm. and encourage them uh, to know something about Jesus to help others mm. to mm. do that. Yeah, and one in three can sound like a very small number. Three million people. I was going to say, three so I, I always people. translate it to if yeah. there's about eight or nine million people in the city, that is three million people yeah. that will never hear, hear, Jesus, hear about Jesus have a Christian friend come alongside them, yeah. and which which is scary. Yeah, so how, exactly. you came in in a, in a, t- a whirlwind of, of change. Um, you came in 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 the mid, still in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, what's your experience? What's life been like so far? Have you found your feet yet? Have you have you? It's been. Have you awesome. passed your probation yet? It's been. <laughs> Are you, are you officially my I've, boss? I've got an appraisal next week, so Ooh, we'll see. But, okay. um, I, we'll have an update next week, depends <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> I think one of the things about um, London City Mission, and, and I, I am sure lots of Christian organisations, is it feels like family. Yeah. You know, Good, bad um, and ugly. You can go anywhere and say, these are my brothers, these yep. are my sisters. Yeah. And coming in here has felt like that. Uh, what we didn't sort of say is that that... that that place where we I've been doing church, well, that was a London City Mission building. Mm. Been lots, mm. And so for all of those last 12 years, mm. we've been working really closely with London yeah. City Mission, with missionaries coming alongside us, helping yeah. us and supporting us. So again, with Tom not coming in from the cold, has taken over the reins from you, yeah. you haven't totally come in from the cold. Exactly. Um, taken exactly. over the reins from your predecessor yeah. to London City Mission. Yeah. So you had a bit a, an advantage and a head start that most, a lot of people won't. Well, yeah, wouldn't have had. I think that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Graham and I trained together back in the day. So when I was doing those initial two years, we talked about Graham was actually at another church, but we came together for training. Mm. So mm. we knew each other a bit as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Brilliant. So what 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 do you, what what's the Lord got in store for you? Do you think, or for us, um, 
<laughs> asking for the masses out there um, for over the next year. Like, what, what's what's your dreams? Do you know um, we? as an organization have just come through a period where um, we've had COVID mm. and we've, we've made a transition to really wanting to work alongside local churches as first and foremost, mm. rather than sort of being people who are doing a lot of mission by ourselves and then mm. trying to link maybe converts in. Mm. And so I think one of the things that we want to do is um, just get up to speed on what that looks like mm. because, because churches have been, battening down the hatches yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. They themselves have just been trying to like, what do we do just to mm. serve our local community? Mm. But now we're coming out of that. Mm. And those churches are beginning to think, how can we reach those who we haven't reached before? Mm. And so I think the churches are really up for the challenge yeah. of doing that. And we as a team of missionaries are getting more and more opportunities to put into practice the, mm. the very vision that we have. Yeah. And I think this year is really about consolidating that and putting mm. it into practice. Starting to live it and out. And starting to live it out. Yeah. So I'm excited about, about that. And it's already bearing lots and lots of fruit. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I just want to briefly touch on your book that's coming out in June, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, plug it. What's it called? Oh, bless you. What, what called, is it about? It's called Healing the Divides. Mm. Great cover, by the way, the way you got the stroke going through there <laughs> there's a lot of talk so, about that cover but I, 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 <laughs> was there? Okay. But I, I, I do like it i do like it mm. and it's really answering the question how can um how can we get involved in the the work of racial healing and unity how mm. can we get involved in that mm. uh, and it's written with a, a a good friend of mine called jasmine um uh, who i met around the time of the george floyd murder mm. so that you know that was a massive time but yeah it was a bombshell yeah, was, for yeah the world it was a yeah. bombshell for the world a great way of putting it and and there was a new sense of desire to kind of interact with racism i think mm. the, than there had been before mm. and i was getting asked quite a lot to think from a christian perspective what, what does this look like help mm. us in our churches as a lot of other people were mm. and um around the time that was happening uh, I, I did a roundtable discussion with a group of friends of mine. Um, we made this video called One. You can see it on YouTube. Yeah, I've, and, I've um, seen that. I sped it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I speed everything up. Yeah, YouTube, I, I do. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most people probably speed this up. So. Yeah. so so that was great. And Jasmine was one of the people I talked to and consulted with in sort of developing that. She's mm. American. She's white. And one of the things that we wanted to model uh, in this new book was one thing that we didn't see happening lots, which was there were white people commenting about racism there were black black and brown people commenting yeah. about racism um there were people from an american context trying to speak into a uk context totally about different. racism yep. and so what we wanted to do is say look, let's come together because mm. what we really need is black and white people talking and wrestling with these issues together mm. here is someone from the american context mm. and here am i uh, someone who's been part of trying to develop a, a multicultural church in central mm. london mm. let's talk about these things together mm. and so that's that's we wanted a model in the way we went about creating the yeah. book, something yeah. about what we think we, we want to see happening. Mm. And around that time too, um, a number of movements began to emerge uh, that caused some people to question whether we should even be thinking about racism as much as we were. People mm. were saying, well, hold on. Actually, there are some people who are rightly trying to challenge racism but when we dig beneath the surface they also somehow seem to be bundling in lots of other things which don't seem directly connected as far as we can see it mm. like we should not fund the police anymore 
Mm. Um, now we've had a bit of discussion about police. So yeah. <laughs> these things, you know, these things yeah. are, are tensions. They're real. They're, and real they're real things. for people's lives. Yeah, real things. But Even driving to work today, you know. Yeah. This these is are, what we experience. Yeah. These are real things. But a whole bunch of stuff that sometimes people don't think is connected. Mm. And so therefore thinking, we shouldn't think about this anymore. So I wanted to address, what do we do with this? And, mm. and how do we kind of think about um, approaches to racism uh, that are different and varied and sometimes mm. conflict with one mm -hmm. another? Mm -hmm. We also wanted to deal with the fact that the big question I kept being asked was, is this really a racism issue in this country or is it a class issue? Mm. Or is it both? Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you've written the book now yeah, too yeah. late, but um, yeah. yeah. So, so we wanted to kind of hit that. We also wanted to address the fact that racism in the UK isn't actually just a black and white thing because mm. the, the biggest um, ethnic minority group in this country are people from Asia. Mm. And so we wanted to sort of bring a more rounded conversation yeah, to the yeah. table so those were the, some of the distinctives that we wanted yeah to bring. yeah yeah that sounds that sounds like a very um it's gonna be a very thought-provoking thought-provoking book wow. yeah look forward to reading it. it just picking up on the george floyd um when that happened obviously as a world we was in the thick of covid yeah um, then um i think it, delta was the prominent yeah. variant and so it felt like um it it was the just the spark that was it, it was going to take something that was just going to explode the world yeah. because we, we was all sort of lock, coming out in and out of lockdown um, and all of the emotional stuff that went with that for us all in our own way and it felt like George Floyd's murder was very much a spark yeah. that, that somebody just dropped a match on a load of petrol and boom, the world yeah. exploded but for you and your family what was around the dinner table when it happened and I know when it happened it initially wasn't it was big but it wasn't it, it, it yeah. grew and yeah. so yeah how did you what was the journey like as a family yeah it's a great question and right? particularly with a, I'm going to say particularly with your wife being white English um, and your children being mixed race there's an extra different dynamic to the conversation whereas if you was all yeah 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 one around do you see what yeah, I'm going I do, yeah I do I do and mm. I think I think the first thing when it first happened to be honest my initial response was uh, was was one of not even feeling that surprised because this Me was too. more of the same. And I same. felt so guilty for feeling like that. Um, and so it's a strange thing that actually th this, when when the reports initially came out, this was okay. Here we go. Again. It was another black. Yeah. Not yet. Yet another black. But it. it yeah, yeah. There was something of that. So it mm. actually didn't 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 shock in the news. way. Yeah. 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 And then, as you say, it began to to sort of accelerate in people's perception mm. the way that it, for some reason it hadn't. Others hadn't. I mean before. that video. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And. and you know that that was horrific, mm. um, and maybe that was part of it. That went viral in a way that things hadn't before, mm. and so I, I think then we then began to get the marches on the streets, mm. and people. I guess my uh, my eldest daughter in particular, uh, who's fourteen, was on social media. So then this began to be a thing that was really occupying really her off. mind, yeah, 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 and thinking. And then it became a sort of topic of the, of the dinner table, like mm. you say, and that was interesting because then, yeah, we had to really have lots of conversations about well, what are the issues here and mm. who do they affect and mm. um, we, we're a couple with multiple ethnicities around the table mm. and actually are we saying that we're all guilty and guilty in what way and that mm. sort of thing mm. and I think my wife Rachel would say that one of the things that she's always very aware of is that uh, she cannot um, live out or know quite what it's like to be even one of her own children mm. who grew up with brown skin. Yeah. Which is different from your experience as a black yeah. man because they're mixed race, yeah, and 
Yeah. And as a mixed race person myself, yeah, it's different from being one color. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a really interesting point. I mean, and and so she's acutely aware of that, and mm. I think she has got something which um, I'm profoundly proud of, which is a, a deep sense of sort of cultural humility. I call call it that that's in the a great book. phrase. Yeah, cultural humility. So just recognizing, look. I walk into situations and I, I don't have all the answers, but I recognise I'm going to have certain blind spots mm. and I need to walk into this situation as a learner. Mm. Um, and I think that makes all the difference. Mm. And, and if, we could, if we could grow that across the board of our mm. society, we'd be having a different kind of conversation. Mm. So that's been one of the real blessings and learning yeah. points for us. I think th- the similarity, I guess, between my daughter, that's a helpful point about um, I'm not a mixed-race um, person as mm, she is mm. but I guess I do have that sense of uh, identity clash of having brown skin um, going to Barbados and feeling like an alien there because yeah. as soon as I open my mouth people are like you we know you're not from here I mean you could be the darkest of, of, yeah. of, a, of a black person but if you open your mouth and, and they hear your English accent exactly there's already a perception and a stereotype and everything yeah yeah, yeah. and then yet being here yeah and speaking with an English accent but yet being other mm. and so that sense of being in this in-between place where you never quite feel like you fit in is one that I think my, yeah. my children would very yeah. much resonate with. No, and, and my experience growing up was that sometimes I felt not quite white enough for my white friends yeah. and not quite black enough for my black friends. Yeah. Sometimes, um, yeah. not all the, for the most part, not all the, you know, not all yeah. the time, but yeah, that's something probably That's that your exactly, children can relate to. Exactly so, yeah. yeah. Are you a, a Spotify guy? You know, what's your, what's your music app, DJ you, DJ MC Roach? You know, I've struggled with music apps to be honest. We're on Amazon Amazon Music okay. at the moment, which I don't particularly recommend. But no, it's not great. <laughs> I, I think I get it free with something, exactly. and, I, and, and I've never used it. Exactly. So, what do you listen to your music on? Um, so, so that would be the thing that I thing. That, that I'd mainly use it on. I, I got sucked into something called um, Google Google Play Music, it's and we great. uploaded everything onto that, and now it's shut down. Yeah. So now you've got yeah, YouTube because yeah. it wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> you got YouTube Music, so I've got a whole lot of music on there, but. It, who uses YouTube music? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I'm stuck, to be honest. So Spotify seems to be the way that people are going. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I've had it since day one. I've seen sort of evolution yeah, of it, and, yeah, yeah. and then there's the family plan, and so now yeah, there's yeah, people yeah. On, on on the family plan. Um, yeah. So it works for us. So when you was riding to work this morning, yeah, yeah. What, what was what was in your ears? Uh, yeah, good question. So I use Google Podcasts. Um, <laughs> so that's what I use for podcasts. Yeah, and. Um, I was listening to something. Matthew Barrett is the host of it. It's a theology podcast okay. by, by Matthew Barrett. So that's one that I happen to be listening to this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to know. Do what you know what you've about. done? You, this is great. You, you've done. This has been a dovetail. So at the start of the, the at the start of our conversation, I asked you, ten year old Jason, what did he want to do? And I was expecting superhero or road digger or whatever. And you <laughs> said, no, no, no. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And at the end of it, I've asked you. What would you listen to coming to work? And I was really wanting to hear what kind of music does Jason uh, listen to running to work? And he was like, well, actually, I was listening to a theology podcast. Of course, Dr. <laughs> Reverend Jason was. So the last time you listened to music on Amazon oh, thank Music. You. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Come on, right. let's rescue this question. Thank you. I tell you, the, I tell you the thing is that I'm really, I tend to get stuck on certain songs and play them on repeat. And... Um, I'm like that, yeah. I've been listening to Mary J. Blige because I watched a documentary about her on on Amazon. So I've gone over her old albums this week and I'm just, oh, amazing. I think that was one of my first records, Reminisce, from the... uh, Amazing. What's the 411 Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Oh, man. There's a a documentary on Amazon um, 
I might get I might get some money from them for plugging it. But her album My Life that came out yeah. after oh. amazing album. But oh. it, it it they walk you through the album and yeah. and the pain. Seen that? Seen that? Uh, yeah, I think I've seen it. It's amazing. It's great. Oh, and then I went back to listen to the album that day. And you just see it in a whole new light. We're not here to talk about Mary J. Blige, but it's... What's that song? No, no, I'm not getting it. I'm not going to edit it out. I'm going to keep that in. Um, Jonathan Trailer, The Table. Okay. I don't know if you know that one. No. Um, You you better find out about that I will spot if I don't on the way home. And then um, Maverick City Music, Man of Your Word. That one is on the at the moment. That is a banger. Um, There are a couple of new versions of... A song that was my favourite ever Christian song for a while, which is "My Jesus, My Savior." This yeah. is an old That's song, a very old school, yeah. And um, but there's a couple of really cool new versions that have mm. just come out recently, and uh, they're great. So I love. Do those. you still listen to secular music? <laughs> no, because, no, because I know some people that don't. When they become say, when they become saved, become a Christian as yeah. they deepen their journey with God, they they sort of. Um, stray away from which is fine each did their own yeah. um, and you'll still get to heaven listening to Mary J Blige um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm assured of that but <laughs> do, do you still listen to secular music? Yeah I'm sure I do but I, I must admit that um, probably the majority of my listening tends to be Christian music yeah. now so Shailene uh, I, I love a bit of Shailene I mean there's great stuff out there yeah Beautiful the Eulogy board. oh Beautiful mm, Eulogy mm, mm. I, I love them If by Beautiful Eulogy if you mm. ever heard that one mm, Spotify that yeah, one yeah it's great but I think you're right I, I tend to listen to my, and I think it's just because uh, uh, my heart is prone to wonder and uh, music for me is mm. a way of coming back to the Lord and, mm. and mm. I, I love it and I, I just I'm wired to yeah. for music and yeah. so I want to yeah. use that music yeah. Yeah. To, to, to lead me to the Lord so a lot of my music that I listen to mm. is Christian music Amen. I have to say Amen Jason it's been it's been real brother oh. thank you it's been good um, we've more than stuck to time I won't tell you what the time is but we stuck to time but um, thank you and thank you for um Helping me re, um, reignite Boise Talks. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. Bless you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boise Talks podcast. You can find more episodes, how to subscribe to our podcast and mailing list, and other info at our website, boisetalks.com.